0: Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Neil downwood my ex-boss, and he's a commissioner, television commissioner, and we had a really interesting chat in London, he's just moved over, about uh, all sorts of things from uh, business, wellness, mortality, moving, Australian politics, uh, diversity hiring. At one point the conversation, I think I played it slightly wrong, or I, I pushed a subject on which he expressed some discomfort and uh, I think I think in retrospect I might have backed off because it's still a point I was trying to trying to make a point to him that I'm not sure that I actually believe which is the idea of staying in your lane it's the idea that uh, it's a political stance that if you don't suffer from a particular type of oppression you shouldn't discuss that type of oppression um, that because it 's either talking over people who have the lived experience and are therefore uh, by virtue of having that lived experience more expert in that field or that you 're taking time or attention or focus away from that that it 's somehow presumptuous or appropriative to um, to be speaking in that space or about that subject, I sort of I think a few things about that I think it 's a fair point. I'm aware that this podcast isn't as, uh, I don't speak to as many people as I could, mainly because I am travelling all the time so I tend to talk to people I have some connection to, um, which is, you know, that's limited by my own movements, proximity to friends, exposure to people I can both disagree with and remain in a respectful relationship with. Uh, I am always happy to talk to interesting people. I do try and get as many different kinds of people as I have access to. So if you have any suggestions, I'm happy to take them. Um, But when it comes to this idea of staying in your lane, I think... I mean, the definition in my head of this podcast is sort of a safe space for people to talk about things on which they are not expert or... in the things that are at the limits of their expertise, um, mainly because I think that's an interesting way to talk about things, a little bit different from other conversations that are happening. Um, But uh, I also think it's important for people who are not affected by an oppression to discuss and engage with that oppression because otherwise um, it's a little bit... Well, it is very divisive of people, I think, You know, we are not just categories, and the categories that we are overlap with one another and with other factors. Um, So, that's my argument for the argument that I made. And again, as I said, I'm not 100% sure of that argument. So, uh, forgive me if it's something that upsets you. Um, Or, don't forgive me, I can't make you do anything, but I would like to ask your forgiveness if it is something that upsets you uh, because, you know, it's a It's a terrible thing to be upset by somebody's expressed opinion that they don't even hold that strongly, if you know what I mean. I don't know if you know it. I don't even know if I know what I mean. Anyway, I'm going to read an email, which I don't normally do in the intro, but I'm thinking of doing. Let me know if you like it, alicerfraser at gmail.com, and then we'll get into the podcast. If you do not like this intro thing, it should be done by uh, about, let's say, seven minutes in, so you can skip ahead to that point. Um, And I'll, you know, do all the plugs of myself and the Patreon and everything. But here's the email, and I thought it was an interesting one. It's uh, by someone who's calling themselves Null Null. And they say, Dear Alice, I wanted to ask you about a question I've been wrestling with. I, 22, have recently moved out of my family home after a final bout of infighting with my father. My mental health is not good, but I feel in a more stable place staying on my friend's couch. Whilst here I've eaten like crap, this is currently being written in a post-homemade nachos haze, drunk and smoked too much. I'm fully aware there are no answers at the bottom of a bottle, but when is gluttony okay? Is there ever a time to pick out? Is it actually bad to overindulge? Food has been a big issue in my life as I recently lost six stone thanks to 18 months of strict and rather boring dieting. Uh, I seem shocked and rather bothered about how much I've enjoyed eating like shit again for multiple days." Gluttony, when do you overindulge? When is it okay? I think is the gist of what I'm wrestling with. Uh, Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't have a good answer to that. It's something... um, With gluttony, I have a personal kind of... um, It's loaded because uh, one of the symptoms of my mom's MS was that she had no uh, impulse control, so... Overindulgence in in food, although drinking and smoking was not an issue, um, overindulgence in food has always seemed has always been upsetting to me on a visceral level. Of seeing somebody uh, do damage to themselves, um, when you know when you reach a certain point, it is uh, self harm, uh, and at the same time, it can also be. a a protection of self or self-medication. So you're causing yourself harm in order to prevent some other harm, whether it's that you're in that moment that your physical health is less important to you than your mental health, that you need to uh, give yourself this small harm in order to prevent a bigger harm. Whether that's an accurate perception, I don't know. I I guess it depends on your individual circumstance. Um, I don't know. I think... If you do overindulge, if it doesn't make you happy, then you should try to stop. And if it does make you happy, then you should do it as and when you can kind of handle it. Uh, But at a certain point, I think there's a kind of an inverse thing where if you're trying to protect your mental health by doing something that damages your physical health, whether it's drugs or alcohol or overindulgence in any other thing... um, in order to protect your mental health then sometimes that process of overindulgence can also backlash on you that you know I don't know your particular physical and psychological setup. if I'm not healthy I don't feel good in myself Um, and I go in and out of being more or less healthy in my life so I'm kind of aware of that as a thing Uh, I'm lucky enough to have a mildly pathological need to not stay at home all day I, I get really cabin fevered and that can be a bad thing, um, but in some ways it 's also a good thing i don't i don 't know how to give advice on this issue, um, but i 'm glad that you asked for help or advice or my thoughts on it, and I can only say uh, you know look after yourself if you can, and if you can 't forgive yourself because uh, feeling guilty about feeling guilty is a is a not a good use of your brain. I think you're in a really tough situation and you can give yourself a little bit of leeway on this and try and get yourself in a more stable position and it's possible that, you know, one thing needs to come before the other. Maybe you need to kind of get yourself healthy before you can take a next step into a more stable environment or maybe you need to establish a stable environment before you can work on the healthy thing. Um, If you can, uh, talk to friends if you want. Send me more emails. We can have a chat, and uh, that goes for all of you. Alice R Fraser at gmail.com. Uh, or if you're a, or a Patreon supporter, there's the messenger, the messenger service on that. Uh, if you're at the twenty-five dollar level, we can just have a chat face to face, and um, if you can't afford any of those things, uh, just email me or tweet tweet me at uh, Literative A L I T E R A T I V E, and we can do it that way. Anyway, this has been a very long intro, more, lo- longer than I normally do, so I will leave it at that. Uh, please listen to the trilogy, the Alice Fraser trilogy, if you haven't. Uh, and apart from that, look after yourselves. Um, you're great. I'll see you next week. Bye. separately okay so who are you and what are you drinking
1: oh uh, i am neil downward and i am drinking some type of weird blue tea uh the thing at the top said blue and i was like okay i've never had a blue tea so i'll drink that i think it's blue pea or something i'm yeah, not sure pea
0: flower
1: pea flower okay. butterfly
0: pea flower something like that yeah
1: no i got it because it was blue i mean
0: does um, it taste blue um some Thai teas.
1: that are- Yeah, it's, it's really sweet, like a blue Powerade. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're sitting in uh, Yum Cha downstairs in Yum Cha in Soho, uh, which is a tea house in Soho, not a Yum Cha place in Soho, and there is a man on the other side of the room enthusiastically talking about investment, so that might leak in on the audio.
1: That guy's going to make a sale, like... Work, work.
0: I- I think he's just giving this young lady advice really slash
1: really loud advice. try to
0: impress her like it yeah. is a quiet tea room. there are a number of other tables of people quietly working on their computers, and this guy is like shouting about investment <laughs> It's great
1: yeah, but you know he seems to he seems to know his stuff you know he he wants her to actualise and and start pop up stores or something, so you know that's.
0: Yeah. Oh man, I'm doing this um, audio documentary about wellness and we're going to go to the Goop pop-up store so I will be able to play my favourite game which is put your hand over the price tag and ask people how much they think it costs. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're charging $30 for a lip gloss. Good.
1: Yeah, yeah that sounds like Goop. Yeah, um, it's amazing.
0: And then also some things that they sell are... More than (laughs) non-functional?
1: So they just just take up space. Like, I
0: genuinely think one of the things, and I might be misremembering this, but it was called a Tibetan stick. Stick. Yeah, it was just a nice stick.
1: So not like a prayer bowl or like something nice. It was...
0: It's just a stick. Maybe it has some... Ritualistic function in the wellness space that I'm not aware of.
1: Was it like painted or something, no, it was or was just it just a, a stick? It's
0: just a stick.
1: <laughs> Did it have leaves on it? No. <laughs> was it something they pulled off the tree outside <laughs> and just brought inside to sell? Maybe
0: it was some sort of cookie implement. I don't know, but it was just a stick. Help yourself to fluffy matcha t- cake.
1: Yeah, yeah, I will. I'm worried about like eating and talking.
0: That's all right. I, just I, don't eat directly oh, no. into the microphone. Don't eat. This is hard. So, what have you been wrestling with of late?
1: Um, well, I've just moved to uh, the UK. I, I landed. Uh, and when you say last just week. moved,
0: you're still carrying your suitcase. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, my apartment doesn't open up until next week, so I've got to wait for that to happen. I'm airbnb at the moment. Uh, so I would say, like, unless you meant like, what am I physically wrestling with right now? Um, probably, I need to get a job. I need to to sort out like life stuff. Uh, I need to get a national insurance number, which I didn't know was a thing.
0: That's a hassle. Um, yeah, it does happen. You'll be fine. Mm. it will be cool. Yeah. Um, that aside, like intellectually, what have you been? Kind of, uh, rather than just the logistics or emotions of making a massive sea change, which I do understand are huge, did you get the dread of leaving a life behind that you will never live? Um,
1: yeah I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of things that that really worry me about about leaving. Um, I think the main thing is that my parents might Get ill or something, and I'll be so far away. And if the worst did happen, then I would regret all of the time that I could have been spending with them that I instead was in England for. Because mm. um, now, like, the reality is I'll see them once a year or less. Mm.
0: Um, I mean, a lot of that is <laughs> mediated by Skype and things like that. Are they? Yeah,
1: I think that. The reality is that I will end up seeing them a lot more than I did while I was in Australia, just not in a physical sense, like mm-hmm. I'll be talking to them on the phone or messaging back and forth and Skyping and everything like that so maybe in in, in some ways I'll, I'll, I'll see them more than I would have if I was like living the suburb over, which is what it was like when I was in Australia, and I saw them maybe like once a fortnight, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was literally a five-minute walk to my parents' house, so yeah, this might be better.
0: Well, I mean, all of that is good. Have you been, have you been engaged for the news, or have you completely avoided it while moving?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I really love following Australian politics, um, you so I'm are keeping not that up.
0: a lot of other people. Yeah,
1: I, um, well, when I was, because um, uh, I used to run uh, a, a comedy website for SBS, and um, that you were a writer of, yes, and um, we had a At satire. At various
0: points in my career, that was my rent money. So. <laughs> it was a good. It
1: was a good thing that we did. We, we a lot of a lot of comedians could pay their rent because we existed.
0: Well, I mean, it was a fantastic. Like as a sideline to what you're saying. Um, there are so many people in the industry who came and got jobs on that SBS. You know, it's whatever, 12 people, let's say. It were was now so d- over
1: like 20 freelance writers on the regular and then yeah. uh, we had like 50 total, I think. It was somewhere around that number.
0: Yeah, of them, say, 12, 15 are now doing this as a job.
1: Yeah, comedy yeah. writing
0: as a job. Yeah. And it wasn't just that you happened to pick the people who were amazing comedy writers. That was part of it. You, but there are so many people who have talent and potential. The fact that you gave a lot of people, and really like put your money where your mouth was in terms of diversity, you
2: yeah, gave a thanks. lot of people,
0: like, really, you gave a lot of people that platform to get better. Yeah. Which is one of the things that kind of get, goes by the wayside when we talk about things like meritocracies, is that sometimes you don't get good until you are given an um, opportunity.
1: Yeah, well, I hate the, the we, don't, we don't have quotas because we're a meritocracy-like statement because it's bullshit. Um, the reality is, like, quotas are really good for making you actually go out and find, like, those great comedians. So, what? yeah, to say that, um, oh, it's a meritocracy, it just so happens that there's seven guys and only one girl on our eight-person team is bullshit, because you're basically saying those seven guys are better than every other woman looking for work.
0: Well, this is the thing as well. At an entry level, particularly, at a kind of an entry level of any career, yeah. everybody is... Nobody's good. <laughs> like, what you have is a lot of yeah. people with a lot of potential. Yeah, You have a lot of people with a lot of talent, and between them, it's who you like, really, mm. in the end. You know, and yeah, then yeah. Th- th- there will be one or two in every generation, occasional geniuses, undeniable geniuses, fucking an mm. just able to overcome all prejudice and every obstacle that is in their path and just forge their way to the top. There will be some of those, but in a very realistic work a day, day to day, Monday to Friday sense, most people at entry level are more or less indistinguishable from one another.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. They're Um, like
0: heaps heaps of talented people. Heaps of people who are talented. And then at that point, same with athletics or anything, it's who puts the work in, who shows up, Mm. who has good coaching, who has a good strategy for making themselves better at what they do. Yeah. And then who doesn't, you know, have a panic attack on the night of the big game or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And then all of that beyond that becomes... Relevant.
1: Yeah, I mean on the the level that we found people it was mainly people that I knew from uni Um, and I think I started the job I was there for four years and that was two years ago so that was like six years so 29 was I guess when I started at SBS and um, so you know we had been out of uni like seven years or something by that point Um, but a lot of the, the people that Sort of like the first wave were people like you and people I knew like Bridey Lee yeah. Kennedy and uh, various other um, so classic comedians. Hiring your
0: mates nepotism.
1: It was like I
0: perpetuating privilege.
1: <laughs> I remember like talking to my managing editor about it and just being like, "Hey, look, this is gonna look like I'm hiring a lot of my friends." Um, but you've got to understand that all of my friends are really talented comedians so I'm going to hire them and uh, they, were, they were really cool with it because that was the reason they hired me because I had a network of all of these great people um, and, uh, and uh, they let that that nepotism go. Well, to be um, fair,
0: there is some selection mechanism in that, in that we became friends through doing comedy.
1: Oh, yeah, it was like a baptism of fire. We like, had a really weird friendship group where you just, you had to perform in comedy or otherwise you weren't you weren't good enough to hang with the cool kids.
0: Yeah, and depending um, on the makeup of the group, it was uh, either just a friendly hangout or a competitive battle to be the funniest person in the room at any given time.
1: Yeah, that was bad. I, I really wish it wasn't like that. And I think that's why, like, a little bit later, I started to gravitate towards the, the people that I'm friends with now who weren't always the funniest person in the room but were the funniest person to me. So, like, my, my best friend, Satan <laughs> Saral... Yeah. He never really like, stood out in the uni comedy crowd, but I always thought he was the funniest person in the world. So, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit like that. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the first wave of writers that I got for the site were basically driven from the, the people that I had come up in comedy with. And then the next wave were part of the new generation um, who were mainly introduced to me through uh, this guy, James Colley, that um, ended up being the head writer for the political satire section of the site, which is how we got on this topic, because I was talking about why I like Australian politics. Yes, let's it's return because, to that thread. It's because um, he ran a really great political satire section of the website, and um, I loved learning about politics through comedy, um, and I kept that up, uh, like, because I suddenly knew who all the who all the ministers were and and and, um, and what was actually going on and all the weird manoeuvring that they do and how terrible it actually is. Um, because of comedy, I had all of that knowledge, and then now I I just kind of do it because it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, this is one of the amazing things that comedy can do. Not necessarily that comedy should do or is the purpose of comedy, but that comedy really can Yeah, open you to new ideas that you just hadn't ever thought would interest you.
1: It's the best thing in the world. Like, it can change people's minds and, you know, it can... You know, hold uh, truth to power and it, you can never do everything. I forget.
0: I mean, Will Anderson, for example, was talking about gay marriage for years before it was really on the mainstream table. Yeah. And I remember talking to a taxi driver who was saying that he had used to be really against it at about the time that the debate was happening. But then I saw this comedian and he quoted one of Will Anderson's jokes about it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's right. Ha 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 ha. And I thought, oh. That's a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's the like comedy's the best thing in the world and um that's I mean that's why I work in it because I'm not talented enough to actually be on stage, but I can help <laughs> talented people get from stage to, like, bigger audiences and on screen and stuff. So that's how I've managed to fit into that niche where I can still feel like I'm contributing to comedy without actually creating it myself. Yeah. Um, by you leeching off McKinna. all you talented people. <laughs> it's great.
0: <laughs> oh, our investment douchebag is leaving. Oh, He's going. That's very exciting. Do
1: you think... Do you I think mean, I have to
0: listen back and see how much of that conversation bled over into this. <laughs> Should be all right.
1: Yeah, he was, he was very loud.
0: He was very loud. Very loud. I mean, I hope they closed the deal, whatever the deal was.
1: I don't... I think maybe she ran a clothing um, business or something?
0: No, the beauty space. That's probably makeup or cosmetic.
1: Oh, yeah, or, you're right. Or,
0: um, you know, some yeah. skincare type he, he
1: didn't seem to know what she was all about either Because he was like oh, So you make most of your money off pop-up stores And she's like, oh no, we've never done pop-up And he's like, yeah, you've done pop-up And it's like, no, my store's online And he's like, oh, well, you should do pop-up yeah. <laughs> like, You don't know what you're talking about <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never encountered that kind of behaviour before <laughs> In my life
1: uh, Yeah, the mansplaining it's real
0: it is real but i don't know whether it is how gendered it is like i know that it is done very often by men but do they do that to other men
1: um i suppose but uh it's probably definitely more avert and um happens a lot more to women because i think I, i guess you could say that men do it to anyone that they don't that they think they know more than mm. and just about every man thinks that he knows more about any subject than a woman <laughs> so it always happens to women it sometimes happens to men i yeah. suppose is how you would
0: And occasionally you also do have a thread of ladies who are who very much enjoy correcting people Yeah there yeah. is a school of women who are Oh absolutely very good at um, like, uh, actually
1: <laughs> Yeah yeah Yeah, the butt, actually, people. Yeah. Um,
0: What they used to call school-mom-ish types.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although sometimes it's really just women going, I'm kind of like, I did my PhD on this, and
0: um, if you could just listen to me for just a second. (laughs) Um, I'm less being a naggy scold than being uh, correct. Mm. 100% 100% accurate uh, in my methodology. So uh, you're interested in Australian politics. Mm-hmm. What is going on in Australian politics at the moment?
1: Uh, well, um, they just... Uh, like the Cinema and Herald just did an article about how Scott Morrison's moving on the whole um, religious freedoms review. Is it religious freedoms or something religious?
0: So what's happened is Scott Morrison has stabbed Turnbull in the back. no. Uh, Peter Dutton stabbed Turnbull in the back. Scott Morrison stepped into the bridge. Oh,
1: beach. You, you, we're going back there, we're yeah. To, I don't, I've
0: got listeners all over the world.
1: You're right, you're right. Um, yeah, we've, we've changed prime ministers again. Again. Um, yeah, so the current prime minister, who is the new prime minister, um, has decided that even though gay marriage is finally a thing in Australia, um, that there's still plenty of discrimination to be done Um, And one of the questions that he got asked recently was, uh, do you think it's okay for um, schools to expel gay, like private schools or Catholic schools to expel gay students uh, or fire gay teachers? And he was like, well, that's the existing law. Um, That was his answer. (laughs) Um, not. We need to change this terrible law. It was well. That's the law. So nothing I can do about it. Even though I'm the prime minister and could easily change the law. Oh man. Yeah. We,
0: yeah. <clears throat> See, I don't. I don't know. There are like I kind of know both sides of the arguments, but it seems. It seems like one of those things that you shouldn't need a law for. That it should just be a kind of a sensible. Yeah. Reality, like.
1: Well, it's the idea that the schools are private enterprises or whatever, so they've got the right to refuse service to anyone, like that sign outside a cafe. But of course, that sign gets used to kick, you know, black people out of the cafe, or yeah. or in this case, gay people. Um, yeah, but
0: it seems like one of those things where it would be a kind of an obvious case-by-case case situation where you know you're allowed to kick the person out who is taking a shit on the counter. But you can't just look at someone and go get out. It has to be a reasonable...
1: Yeah, well, that's why we have discrimination laws. But basically they're saying, if you're gay and you're a kid and you're in a Catholic school, sucks to be you, the discrimination laws don't apply. Um... At least that's my like pedestrian understanding of what's going on at the moment.
0: The freedom Um, the religious freedom that they're fighting for is the religious freedom to discriminate, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's basically what the whole like that's the oh, we lost the gay marriage battle, but now we've we've got to fight this one. Yeah, it's it's interesting.
0: To a certain extent I think it almost like just from my personal perspective, it almost depends on what environment you're in. So if you're in a place like a massive city where there are a million schools that are relatively indistinguishable from one another, all comparatively close, then it's all less important. Mm. You know, it's less life or death. But you need to think about the country schools where there's only one school in town. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, or there's only one good school in town or there's only one school within 50 kilometres of your house. And, that, and that's when the rubber hits the road in, in a city... You know, I don't care if that cupcake shop doesn't want to make a gay cupcake for me. Like, I can go to the cupcake shop that's 30 metres down the road. At that point, it's just... It's yeah, just, but even then, it's you like, know, it's, it's an a terrible
1: thing. No, it, um,
0: realistically, yeah. it's an unpleasant thing. And it's gross, and it's, it's kind of upsetting. But it's when you're the only cake shop in the village. Mm. And you're the only gay person in the village. And that's, that's when it becomes kind of life and death.
1: Yeah, yeah it's it's sad that even though like the lgbtqi community have won all of these victories coming up to finally getting gay marriage and like these these people are going to keep coming back and they're going to keep making that community fight for their humanity and i just i feel terrible about the fact that this is just going to keep happening they're always going to
0: well, I think from the perspective of the people who are talking about these rights and the reason that I kind of drew it out like that, mm. if the city versus country, even though that's kind of um, reductive. Yeah. Because it breaks down into other communities, small communities, where there is religious kind of discrimination built into your community or whatever it happens to be, is again where the rubber hits the road if you have to lose your family or whatever, is because the people who are making the decisions and the people who are having the arguments are in the city. Mm. So often, you know, these right-wing politicians, they just can't imagine how it would be a problem.
1: Yeah, that's probably part of it. They're I like, think- why, would,
0: why do you care? You know, you can just go send your kid to another private school. That's what they think, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think part of it is also the fact that they, they think that gay people are an abomination. <laughs>
0: See, this is the question. This is the question, because if they do, I find their position more understandable.
1: I see what you're saying. It's like those people that um, make exceptions for abortion in rape and incest because, of of course, it it would be monstrous not to, but then you're like, yeah, but you think that every sperm is sacred and and it's weird that you you draw the line there but not further.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's... I think a failing of the left is to assume that the right is disingenuous but then also to assume that politicians are doing anything other than pragmatism.
1: I don't know. I, I really feel like, from Scott Morrison's perspective, it's about the fact that he's thinking about poor Christians who like, have this ethos to not support the gays because the Bible tells them not to, and they're being hard done by right now because... Um, they can't do all the discrimination that they've been so used to doing across all the years that they think the Bible says they got to do. Um, and, like, I don't think that that's, like, me not realising he's disingenuous. It's just me saying that... You think
0: he genuinely feels... I,
1: I think that that's how he genuinely feels, like, that, that Christians need to be able to discriminate against gays in order to continue practising Christianity... And we're preventing them from doing that by being all progressive and, 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 you know, right. Um, uh, And uh, this is why he wants this religious freedom review to come out, so that he can say bakers should be able to not make a wedding cake for gay people.
0: I think the right wing feels like they're fighting against a tide. Yeah. And that the movement is away from tolerance and towards an enforced celebration so uh, okay. whereas actually I think both sides would be quite happy with tolerance and tolerance is not celebration it's just letting someone go about their business being polite and humane to the people you encounter and saying your private life is your private life I have nothing to do with it yeah. But I think the extreme left is asking for more than that and the extreme right is asking for less than that.
1: Well, asking for acceptance.
0: But yeah. this is kind of turning See, I, into... See, I think asking for acceptance is almost too much. Because if you're, if you're asking for acceptance, then they have to be able to ask for acceptance too.
1: Uh uh-huh.
0: Tolerance is mm. fine. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? If just because you believe you're right... And are, according to me, probably right. Yeah. That doesn't, like, that doesn't quite cut it because everyone has always believed that they were right.
1: Oh, yeah, but... Um...
0: And moral and correct. You'd think the guy who burned a witch at the cross felt any less certain of their righteousness than the person who is screaming at a KKK guy.
1: Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, people don't paint themselves as the bad guy in their own story. Um, They want to believe what they're doing is right.
0: And you can't Um. set up a precedent to support your rightness unless you're willing for that precedent to be continually applied down the ages. If you're 100% sure that the person who is 30 years down the road from you will also be right.
1: Oh, I... Like, yeah. I just... There are certain viewpoints that aren't acceptable and... I know that...
0: But are they intolerable? You don't have to accept them. You just have to allow them to exist. No,
1: I want to make those people as uncomfortable as possible so that they can't think that anymore. It's like a... Uh, or, or if they do, they have to... St- think it in their secret little hovels yeah
0: but i mean that's kind of if you put yourself in the perspective of somebody who doesn't like gay people
1: yeah i I know they feel exactly the same way you know i (laughs) want i don't
0: care i just want them to feel as uncomfortable as possible and they have to do it in the privacy of their own homes and they can't be like that's exactly the same sentence
1: yeah but they're wrong
0: yeah but that's (laughs) not enough you can't like it can't be it can't come down to yeah but they're wrong because you then have to be sure 100% sure that the people in power will always be right forever
1: Yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying Um. and
0: that's one of the, it's a really uncomfortable thing it is a really deeply uncomfortable thing but it kind of has to be the standard
1: Mm.
0: you can't allow for punishment of your opposition to any extent that you wouldn't be willing to be applied to you
1: Okay, but like, like, do you think that schools should be able to kick out gay kids when they come out?
0: No, of course yeah. not. I think that's a terrifying and awful thing to do. Yeah, like they're children. They're,
1: they're at, children. At, yeah. To,
0: they're, I mean, to I mean, aside from anything else, aside from the discriminatory aspect, their sexuality isn't relevant. Yeah. They're not. Like. Being gay at that age is... Not, it, what is it? Like, it's just who you have a crush on, what boy band posters you put up. That's not, you know, who you hold hands with in the playground.
1: Yeah, and, and it's who you in are. later high like, school you who you're can't... sending
0: dick pics to. But, yeah. like, it's not... It's not part of your life, particularly primary school. You know, it's, it's not relevant. It's like people asking whether SpongeBob SquarePants is gay. Like, it's not... You're not there. Be. You're yeah. not there you in your role as sexual being. You're in there in your role as student. Mm. Your job is to learn. Yeah, That's it. And you know, daydreaming about boobs and daydreaming about penises is the same. <laughs> like, is functionally the same thing when it comes to your ability to learn.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I think we should switch topic. Here's what I think. <laughs> well,
0: no. I mean, this is yeah. a this is an important social issue. You can't just abdicate your responsibility to think about important issues just because you're like, oh, this is not my lane.
1: Oh, I just don't want to no, be one of those people that comments on uh, a community that I don't have any lived experience in.
0: Well, yeah, but also you're not purporting to be an expert. That's true, actually. And we are the two people I in don't the know, room. Just, We're not talking about It feels like when you've
1: got a microphone in your hand, what you're saying has, has some more reverence and you're worried about coming across as somebody claiming to be an expert. Um...
0: But, but yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, well, you've done, like, how many... Like, what episode is this now? Like Yeah, so you're used to it now. For me, this is like, ooh, I'm a special guest. I'm an expert guest on Alice's <laughs> podcast. Well,
0: that's, that's um, relevant to So story. it
1: doesn't really feel natural for me. And, yeah, I think I think you're right to to mock me for, for being hesitant to talk about subjects that I'm not an expert on. Well, um, I mean, that's kind but, of
0: what this podcast is about. Yeah. It's about talking about things that you aren't certain about. <sighs>
1: Well, yeah. Rather okay, than that's things that
0: you are certain about. That's
1: fun. Yeah, you should you should do more episodes of this. That's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it it almost by definition means you cannot be claiming to be an expert.
1: Yeah. Okay. Even um, if it's
0: even if it's in a field that you have some expertise in, I'm not interested in you talking about the things you're sure about. Oh, okay. I want an, I, I want uncertain opinions.
1: All right. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I've, I've listened to a bunch of these, but I didn't know that was, like, the central ethos that you were...
0: Yeah, the central ethos is there is a hundred places in any given hour of any given day where you can go and find an argument, mm. quote-unquote argument, that isn't an argument at all. It's just someone showing the black side of the page and someone showing the white side of the page. You never hear anybody on television or radio going, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way.
1: Yeah, or, okay.
0: Or oh, actually, now that I've said that out loud, I don't know that I stand by that. You never see actual discussion. You see the presentation of ideas in a kind of an adversarial debating forum, yeah. which is one way of arguing. There's a dialectic progress for the listener. They can say, oh, I'll take a bit from that side or I'll take a bit from that side or I'm persuaded by these guys until better arguments come along. But you never actually see that kind of dynamic dialectic where someone goes, you know, for example, I think we should embrace, you know, X party of people. And I go, well, if you ask us to embrace them, then you have yeah, to be willing yeah. for them to ask you to embrace them. That, <coughs> like, that's what I want.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, great it's, Great it's my idea. goal in life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> is to make everyone feel really uncertain about everything.
1: Yeah. Well, what a great idea for a podcast, you know. Just... Uh, Keep at it. You well, know? It's the
0: only place you can do it, really. You <laughs> couldn't do it on the radio. You couldn't do it on television.
1: Yeah, yeah. You need to, you need to bring in people that sell the advertising spaces. So, so in those ones, you can't have somebody that's just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's, on one
0: hand, this. On yeah. the other hand, that. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, what are, where, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, uh, A right, Facebook page? I, I don't know. I'm, I don't really have an online presence in the... What,
0: are you even real? Yeah, like I've got I've
1: got a, a Twitter uh, account, but I just use it to to look at other people um, and and read their their stuff. I I don't really post a lot on the internet. Um, I guess I'm I'm pretty pretty. I should I should have more because I've wor- I've definitely worked in like like I was an editor for an entertainment news website and like you know you 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 see the, the guy that runs BuzzFeed or the, the, the editor of Junkie or whatever and they're just like they, they've got a massive Twitter footprint um, and then there's me just like, like <laughs> when, um, when SBS comedy got um, sort of axed uh, the, one of my writers James Colley uh, got all the credit for being the person that set it up because he was the one With that the had the, the public profile. Um, so when he said, "Oh, can I make an announcement to all of my fans um, to say that you know the backbone is not happening anymore?" That was the political satire section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, "Yeah, sure, I, like do whatever you want." So that was the first kind of like official announcement that SBS Comedy was closing, mm-hmm. um, and then of course junkie and pedestrian and all of like the, the popular Australian online publications picked up James Colley's tweet and they were like, editor James Colley announces <laughs> the end of SBS comedy. And I
0: was <laughs> like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's why That's why you got to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I've always been happier being sort of like, the behind-the-scenes person that...
0: Nah, You've got to talk loudly about your investment in a cafe. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be that guy.
1: You're right, you're right. This is what I've been doing wrong my entire life. You've got to be more um, like that guy. Yeah, I should um, I should join... What was it, Investment Angels?
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I think he's, I think he's a, an angel investor.
1: Angel investors.
0: In that he was talking about his company and how they invest in this or invest in that or support these kind of people or... Well, Maybe he, there could be advisors, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, he was a douche. So they're in the startup space. We know that about him. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: the tech startup space, <laughs> which uh, could mean almost anything at this point.
1: Mm. Um, you asked me how people can find me online. Is that like you're wrapping up? We're, we're, we're closing this down? Unless or you it...
0: have anything else you want to talk about? <sighs>
1: I don't know. Um, you know, I, I could go on. Yeah. Um, how do you edit this together? I don't. Oh, no. So, all of this is going <laughs> in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, we'll leave it there. Yeah, I um, will talk to you again soon. Uh, you're having tea with Alice.
1: Yeah, okay, uh, yeah, thanks.
2: On Monday morning when she comes in She hangs her coat on the highest pin Turns around for to view her frames Crying, damn you doffers, cry up your ends, Loudly rifle doll, loudly rifle day And when the boss, he looks round the door Tie your ends up doffers, he will roar well, ti- up, we surely do, more, Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifle oh, all lovely rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our hands up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lully rifle, lull, lolly rifle day.